I don't know whether it's necessarily conscious, but I definitely think that all companies, when you actually meet the people at the top, their personalities is slightly reflected in the way the company is operated. And at the end of the day, Jane, Claire and I, we all like to have fun. Like we are, we enjoy having fun. We will definitely go and go to the Brazil party at NAFSA. You know, like we, we do enjoy having fun on the road as well as meeting people, understanding the challenges of the sector, et cetera. I think people hopefully feel like when they work at the pie, it's not too strict <laughs> and they can, you know, flourish and show their own personality at the same time. Jessica Glauser-Giver. And I'm Girish Balola. And you're listening to the Destiny Benders podcast, where we speak with international educators and education entrepreneurs to hear their stories of how they got started and what keeps them going in international education. Welcome back to Destiny Benders. Girish, I feel like it's been a while since we last recorded an episode. I think a couple of months at least. Yes, totally. It's been at least three months, I think. It's just been a busy time with work, travel, holidays. I hope you had a good holiday season. I'm ready for 24 and I'm ready to launch back our Destiny Benders for the year. And I'm really, really excited. Me too. I'm really excited about this. The next upcoming season, we're going to showcase the wonderful women of international education, leaders in our field who are doing great work, really pushing the international education sector forwards. Totally. I'm digging this. This is going to be so awesome to find all these women from around the world who are doing some amazing stuff. You know, I think over the next couple of three months, we'll have several of these pioneering women in international education. So uh, let's get started. Right. So for our first episode of 2024, who are we speaking with today? Well, these three women are some of my favorite women in the world. They are the founders of PI, the international education news and events media company. So the first episode is going to feature Amy Baker, Claire Gossage, and Jane Gillum. They are super fun, always fun to hang out with. And I'm really excited to hear about the story about how they got to where they are today. Amy, Claire, Jane. So happy to have you on the podcast. Welcome to Destiny Vendors. Thanks for joining us today. Yurish and I have been looking forward to this conversation and learning more about you three, how each of you found your way in international education, what motivated you to start the pie, how did you even get it started, and what keeps you going? On a day-to-day, -day, what keeps you going in this field? Tell us your story. Thanks for having us, Girish and Jess. Um, shall I go first? So I know all of us have had international study abroad experiences. In my case, I spent a year in France. I studied journalism and then I spent a year learning how to be a journalist in, a, in the French language. But for me, it was I was working for a magazine, an event company focused on language schools and agents, and I was working with Jane. And I think it was a trip to NAFSA that really made my made me realize how big the international education sector was and how I felt like we were playing in a small microcosm of the bigger sector. Um, so that's where the idea was spawned from. And I think turning that into reality was slightly forced by us all becoming mums. And in particular, I was 
I just had my second child and I was feeling quite frustrated about not being able to work very flexibly in my previous employer. And I really wanted to build a career, but also be able to not have to, I was living in London at the time and just getting across London feels like, it literally feels like a million years ago, but once upon a time you had to like dash across London to get to the nursery to pick your son up. And if you were late, they charged you. It was just like such a stressful existence. So I had an idea for a a media platform that would cover international education in all its guises, so vocational colleges, higher ed, language learning. We always launched the pie with the idea of having recruitment and executive search as well as media. The events came later. But that was partly because we'd often been asked informally, or oh, do you know someone? I want to hire someone in the States, or do you know someone who would be good to add to our team? So we were sort of informally offering recruitment services. So we spun that into a business division from the get-go. Um, and sort of learned along the way how to professionalize our service around that sphere. But we all, always had the network and executive search is always about the network. So I didn't actually study abroad. My then boyfriend, now husband, Tim, was going to uh, do his master's in Dijon and I went along with him for the ride. And I actually taught English for a year and loved the whole teaching abroad, loved it. Came back and started to work at the same company as Amy um, while well, I was managing the um, agent conferences that, there and traveling the world, meeting the amazing global network of um, language schools and agents. And yes, yeah, so Amy and I worked together and Claire was working for a school at that time, St. Giles, and she was one of our um, she was one of our clients and we became friends. And that was that was how originally we all got to meet. Yeah, so I started out, as Jane said, working for St. Giles, which is a, a language school with different schools overseas as well as the UK um, and I'd got to working for I'd got into working for them through studying languages so slightly like Amy and I had a study abroad experience in my third year so I studied French and German please don't ask me to speak German anymore because it is so bad so I studied languages and spent a year teaching English in Austria so lived in Innsbruck for a year mainly so I could do lots of skiing and I learned to snowboard and then I worked in Paris for Bosch Siemens in the communication department. And when I graduated, I didn't know what to do at all. Like I really didn't know what I wanted to do other than use my languages and find a job with an international dimension. And I saw an advert in the Guardian newspaper, as it was back then, printed newspaper, showing my age, uh, for this job for St. Giles. And I literally read it and thought, that is my perfect job. I love it. Ticks every box. So then was traveling the world, uh, representing the school and managing agent relationships all over the place, South America, Japan, China, Europe, um, and was using my languages. So that was really good in terms of that. Um, and then I used to attend the conferences that Jane was managing and selling. And then I moved across to work for a university. So I was at University of the Arts London uh, as head of international marketing there. So we continued to then attend the conferences. I remember standing in a queue once for lunch at one of the events and having a conversation with Amy and who said, oh, I've got this idea and it sounded brilliantly interesting. And I said to her, well, if you ever, if you ever do it, give me a call. And one day she called me. <laughs> and you also had a baby at that point and we met up, didn't we? And talked about concocted plans while the kids were crawling around basically <laughs> yeah the kids so this is my eldest and Amy's youngest so they're now 13 and they were crawling and that awful crawling stage where you literally 
they're crawling and then you've got to go and retrieve them and bring them back. And we were trying to have this very serious conversation around starting a business and trying to write a, a business plan, working out how much money we might need to do that with these crawling babies around our feet. That's we literally follow them, wouldn't we? Pick them up and then put them in, point them in a different direction. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> so funny though. It's funny that you guys met in a line uh, for lunch. Uh, Justin and I met in a line for Starbucks and she was very pregnant. What well, was it with Felix? I was. I was about seven months pregnant when we met. Yeah. Yeah. So we're chatting in line at NASA, Houston, 2012, and we got our coffee. We're continuing to chat. And she goes, I'm here to meet Amy Baker. I'm like, I don't know Amy Baker. And so Amy shows up and that's when I met Amy. It's funny how. that, guys. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Houston, Houston, 2012, wasn't it? Because, yeah, Felix was born in 2012. So I have a question for you guys. So as an entrepreneur, I know how challenging it is to, first of all, come up with an idea and then work on it. How did it happen for you? Because on one hand, I like making my own decisions. So I don't like having anybody else that I have to ask permission for. So how is it with three co-founders coming together? Um, I'm sure each of you had your own perspectives on what the company should be like. How did that work? And what was it like when you first started? I mean, I know it can't be easy to start a brand new company in a space that's got some major players out there. I think we all have similar styles of personality in that we like to chat. We, I often say, do you, how many hours a week do you think we spend chatting? <laughs> but I think that's a good asset because we all, and we, as we, we often say, we, we all have exactly the same read on a situation. Well, not exactly, but a similar situation. So we'll talk about something and what do you think? And we'll end up all agreeing that we'll all have broad consensus at the end about what we should do around something or a decision. Um, I think that's helped. I don't think any of us are confrontational, but we're conversational. And I think that works. Yeah, it's really interesting to to consider that because I'd obviously never worked with Jane or Amy. So I knew them as a client and we were friends. We'd seen each other over the years. You know, we met when we were, what, 23 probably. And then we set the pie up and I was possibly 33. Yeah. Uh, So we know each other for a while, but it was, you know, until you're really working with people, you don't really know how it's going to work and what the dynamic is going to be like. But I think what's really helped us is we all have quite different skill sets, even though we come at situations with a similar viewpoint. And I think in terms of dividing responsibilities, sort of dividing the work, as it were, a lot of that felt quite natural. So it never felt difficult to say, oh, who's going to take this on or who's going to who's the best person to do this? Lots of those things just naturally happened. And that I think it continues to be like that. Even now we're in year 13. And it's funny, isn't it? We do, we like, Claire is very on time. Amy and I are a little bit later. Um, Claire and I are early risers and Amy's a late, late worker. So there is, we, you know, that all of that kind of complements each other as well, I think. Yeah, it's funny, Amy, you said that you guys are all alike, because for me, you guys are very different from each other, from what I've known of you all these years. Right, Jess, what do you think? Yeah. Yeah. But I also understand what you're saying about the conversational and complimenting each other for sure. Cause we work, we work, I work at the pie as well in case our listeners don't know. And so we work together and I, I can see that. Absolutely. But I yeah. also think it's having a common mission and us all having the same belief in what it is that we want to achieve and the same 
thoughts around what kind of company we wanted to create. Mm -hmm. So what do we want it to feel like for us as as kind of the you know founders, but also for the team when we started employing people? And as Amy said, I think we were all on the same page and we still most definitely are on that front. What's the journey been like? I mean, it's been, what, 13, 14 years? How long has it been? Yeah, 13 years. Is it 13 or 12? Well, we're in year 13 now. So we're just starting our 13th year. Yeah. So what's it been like? I mean, what were the, can you think back to the first couple of years, how scary it was? Yeah, definitely. House, weren't we? That's 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 what yeah. We, we ran the business out around my spare room, around the table in my spare room for nearly three years. It was definitely it definitely felt sort of exciting and daunting at the same time in the early days. I mean, I had sort of quit my job and had had a point to prove that this could work. But at the same time, I don't I don't think I ever thought, oh, this is not going to work. I mean, I think it's a much bigger business now, and we have a lot more potential in terms of global growth and expansion. But what was really rewarding from the get-go is that we had a newsletter list so you could sign up to get the Pi Weekly. So maybe some of your readers will get the Pi Weekly. It goes out on a Friday. And that was because I polled my audience about three months in and I said, when would you like to receive a newsletter? And I think 65 people voted, like 40 said a Friday. So that's why it was a Friday. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) but from the get-go, we had newsletter subscribers subscribing from all around the world it was so rewarding so we felt like we knew we were onto something we had to sort of make the finance work and that's the big challenge of any business but in terms of have we have we have we found a model here where there's global interest in what we're putting out as a media player we absolutely knew from uh, quite early on I think that we felt like we were on the right track yeah and I think obviously it was just us when we started we weren't employing anyone right at the beginning and I think we're all very versatile in terms of what we can do. And you need that when you're starting because someone's got to do the finance and send out the invoices. And that was me, you know, I'd never done it before, but it's like, great, let me learn how to do it and I'll do it. And I think that is still our approach actually of we have an idea, we're interested in doing it, we want to pursue it. Right, let's just learn about that and off we go. And I think having that mindset has really helped us get to where we are today. It's been the same with the team, hasn't it? That everyone else is very versatile as well, you know, prepared to, you know, help with everything and get involved with everything. And and that's been really great as the team has grown to, to have that skill set. One thing I also would say in terms of thinking about how the business just stood up for its, on its own, recruitment was a, a sort of genius stroke. And I think we were like, let's just try that. But it worked a lot better maybe than we thought it would. And Jess was an early employee of the pie before she moved to the States and then came back and can testify. You had not really worked in equipment before, but you were like, yeah, well, you know, we, we were, we had great people, people, persons, people, people. Can you say that? You know, people who who liked people, knew people. We provided a brilliant service that definitely helped the business stand up. And I think being able to offer someone a flexible job where they could work from home Back in 2011, 2012, that was a game changer. I know that's how why Jess came to work for us because it wasn't like do we go at the time. Exactly. Yeah, I had just had Felix, who we just were talking about standing in the Starbucks line, seven months pregnant, meeting Grish. And then I had him and I didn't want to go back to work in student international student recruitment where I'd be traveling three, four weeks at a time with this baby at home. Um, and Amy, when I met you and yeah, exactly. You 
offered something that at the time, as you just said, really wasn't happening. Now, hybrid working flexible is is very much part of the norm. But but back then it wasn't. It was fantastic to have that. And I one thing going back to what Gurish had said about being an entrepreneur and the challenges, you know, and, and working together. One thing as an employee of the pie, I feel that you have a company that you would like to work for. So you run the pie in a way that if you were being employed, it's it's you'd want to work there and you want to provide that environment for the people who work for you. Is am I correct in thinking that? And and how how do you how do you make those decisions with that I, in mind? I, I totally agree. And I don't I don't know. Sorry, I'm, I'm talking a lot, but I, I don't know whether it's necessarily conscious, but I definitely think that all companies, when you actually meet the people at the top, their personalities is slightly reflected in the way the company is operated. And at the end of the day, Jane, Claire and I, we all like to have fun. Like we are, we enjoy having fun. We will definitely go and go to the Brazil party at NAFSA. You know, like we, we do enjoy having fun on the road as well as meeting people, understanding the challenges of the sector, et cetera. I think people hopefully feel like when they work at the pie, it's not too strict <laughs> and they can you know flourish and show their own personality at the same time I, I think that's been a really big part of it the having fun you know we all everyone works hard everyone in the team works hard but we have we do have a lot of laughter and and I think that's the industry as well isn't it I think in Taled people that whole network the chatting to people that building that community I think that's been really really important and when we did go to in-person events that was a real part of it as well. I think that that community that we'd worked on for 10 years or yeah, pretty much 10 years, that was, it was then great to go to those in-person events and bring that network together. Yeah. And I think obviously we'd all worked in the sector for a long time before that. So we all had our own networks and yes, some of those overlapped, but we all had our, you know, the people that we would speak to at events who then came with us when we started the pie. And then we've obviously grown from there. But I think having, and Amy, coming back to Amy's point at the beginning about being conversationalist, it's like, well, if you don't talk to people in this sector, you don't succeed. And I think that is one of our big strengths as a company. And that has come from us three in terms of our approach to working and our personalities and then I think once as the team has has grown, that has naturally evolved. And we are all about the network, you know, and you'll see us at events, hopefully, out and about everywhere, talking to people all the time. Handing out pie tea towels. Pie tea towels. Quite a bit. I see you guys everywhere. Uh, so I want to go back a little bit further back in your lives, right? So when you're growing up, did you ever think you'd be an entrepreneur or you'd be in the field that you're in? I mean, obviously, international education, everybody literally trips into it. But journalism, Amy, I mean, I, you said you studied it. I know what you studied, Jane Claire, but, you know, so going back, did you ever think, did you grow up, grow up in like entrepreneurial families? Was that some kind of a motivation for you to say, no, I can run a business, I can start a business? Or was this something like out of the blue? So I didn't grow up in an entrepreneurial family. No, my dad worked for a bank. And I didn't think I'm going to run my own company. But I also, which I think is interesting now, my parents were brilliant parents, but their, their main advice to me was do something you enjoy. That was their pretty much like the sort of extent of their career advice. And I thought, I know, I think I'd be, enjoy journalism. And I did, you know, I I was using my sort of network and interest in people, which 
people laugh about in the office because I love talking to random people on planes. But, you know, I do find people interesting. And I was putting my journalism skills to use in a business context and I was really enjoying it. But I, I didn't necessarily think um, I'll be, I set my own business up. But the point I'm trying to make is I also never really realized how much you get paid as a journalist. I'd never really thought about salary. I just thought I'll do something I enjoy. And then at some point in my 20s, I thought, oh my God, I'm, not, I'm never, it's going to be really hard to make any money just being a journalist. Unless, I mean, these days people have got three or four careers, often two at the same time. So, some, so I guess the clocks, the cog started turning. Ultimately, entrepreneur, being an entrepreneur is just about trying something, isn't it? Actually, I was in Abu Dhabi this week and someone was asking me the same story. And I said, I, I had a backup plan, which was that we were going to move in with my parents and rent my flat out if it didn't work. And I think it's just about working out Somebody, I met somebody when I was thinking about setting up the pie who said to me, just work out what your backup plan is and, and just launch, start. And I remember thinking, worst case scenario, I was lucky enough to own a flat in London. I'll rent it out and move in with my parents. The thing is, I had to get my husband to be okay with that. <laughs> but he was. I mean, and once you, what's the worst that can happen? That's really like the, the best approach, I think. Did you have the same idea, Girish? Tell us about yours, your journey. The podcast is about you. <laughs> yeah you're right right i mean you see a gap in the market you find you think that you can offer a solution that's better you could do things a little bit better more efficiently more productively and you give it a shot and i always my advice to entrepreneurs is always like you know do it but in 24 months if it's not making you money to earn a living then it's a hobby it's not a profession then you got to go find another job and go to your backup plan uh, but I never, when I started Gen X, I never thought this isn't going to work. I never thought, what's my backup plan? I'm like, I'm going to make this work and that's it. How about you, Jane? I was going to say, I think what's been, so when I was growing up, I wanted to be Kate Aidy, a, a journalist. But then I get completely changed. When, when I lived in France, I really, I really wanted then to travel. That would like became a real passion. And then to have a job that I could travel and that was connected to education that just became a like everyone I kind of fell into it saw the job advert and fell into it but then I became really passionate about it and really enjoyed the people side of it as well and traveling with a job I loved that was really important to me but what's been really exciting though about the pie I think is that it's been ever evolving so and I I think that's the, the entrepreneurial bit that we all really enjoy as well that we've you know we started off as a news website and then you know we've the recruitment side and then we went into the pandemic we went into virtual events and then to now go into the in-person events you know and, and we're always like what next and that's what's been really exciting I think and I, I think we're all passionate about that. I also didn't grow up in an entrepreneurial family at all my parents both worked but they were very and I never thought I think when I was growing up that I would be an entrepreneur but my parents were very supportive of whatever I wanted to do. So they were like, um, you know, we've got your back. So off you go. If that's what you want to do, we'll be here to support you. Um, and I was also given the same advice as Amy, not by my parents, actually, um, who I don't think really gave me advice as such. They just said, well, if you want to do it, you can do it. But the advice I had from one of my teachers at school was do what you enjoy. So I thought when I was about 14 or 15 that I wanted to be a doctor. And looking back now, I think that's sort of ridiculous because science was definitely not my forte. But I had this thing in my head that I wanted to be a doctor. And this teacher managed to swerve my focus and said, look, is that really where your passion lies? And I realized, actually, no, it wasn't. It's with languages and the international side. And then, you know, we kind of went from there. Um, but I think the thing I really value 
about our sort of current setup, having worked for a family-owned business, which was St. Giles, and then I worked at the university, the politics and the bureaucracy and the slowness and the pace, slow pace of working at a university, I found so frustrating. I mean, I loved my job in so many ways, but after a while I was like, oh my God, this is kind of killing me. Like endless meetings, no action. And then we suddenly had our own business and we could just do something now. You know, you decide, brilliant, let's just give it a go. And having that freedom, I realized realized when we had it, actually that is what I need in terms of approach to work, style of work, rather than going back to that very bureaucratic, big structure. You do make decisions and do it quickly, don't we, sometimes? And and that's the beauty of it, I think. Well, I think we launched our first Pi Live Europe event, didn't we, in about four months? Yeah. Let's do it to actually making it happen. And we've also had to become good at crisis management because we had to move, as you may well remember, we had to move our awards event with 24 hours to go when the queen sadly died and our venue was unavailable to us. So yeah, we've, that's when I think we're almost at our best. Don't you, what do you think Jane and Claire? Yeah, I do. I feel like throw it at us, you know, we'll, (laughs) we'll get through. Um, And I think that's, that's where it's really nice having more than one person. There's three of us. And even if all three of us are not around one of us, two of us usually are, you know, and I think having that support network and having a, a directorship, if you want to call it that, that actually works really well together, enables us to do a lot of stuff. So you thrive in chaos, right? I mean, that's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't all I, the time. <laughs> I, I like what you just said. There are days, as a sole owner of the company, there are days when I'm like, I need to make a decision, but I don't have somebody to like kind of get that. Uh, maybe uh, an advice from or to, to, I mean, I could talk to my staff and we could decide, but at the end of the day, the decision's mine, right? So, mm. but, yeah, so I'm kind of envious. <laughs> and I'm going to go to the heart of the podcast, which is the name, which is Destiny Benders. And we talk to people throughout the profession across the sector of international education, um, people who are changing lives and bending destinies in the work that they do. And we have counselors on and we have people on often who are working with students directly, for example, and affecting those students and and impacting their lives in the work that they do. Now, the pie is a little bit different. Obviously, you are working within international education and with international educators. Um, You're not necessarily working directly with students, but that's not necessarily what international education is solely about. But I would say that the pie is changing lives and bending destinies, impacting international education in that way, in that you are very different. So the organization as a whole is a destiny bender, um, in that you are very different. The pie is very different from anything that really has gone before. There are other media companies out there, for sure, working within this um, field. But the way you approach things is different, and that's impactful, and that has changed lives and been destinies. Uh, Can you think of any examples of where you think, yeah, the pie, we bent that destiny by either an event or a work that we did? Or, for example, I think in the exec search and recruitment, we're changing lives all the time because we're working with people who are looking for new opportunities within the field, and, and, and that's changed their lives. So can you talk about that a little bit? I've got an example, actually, and this come out various uh, conversations I had this autumn 
uh, about people who had won a Pioneer Award. So we run an annual awards uh, for the sector and we're now in our eighth year. So the Pioneer Awards run every September in London. And I think the impact of winning an award is really significant on organisations and individuals. Um, so it's generally organisations that that nominate themselves and win. We do have some categories for individuals, but the recognition that comes with winning an award and the publicity that people receive through being covered on the pie and accessing our global network through the work that, through the recognition of the work that they've done genuinely has transformed organizations because and we know that because they've told us so it means that they have had clients who are working with them now approach them as a direct result of winning an award they heard about them they're like oh that sounds great i want i want to talk to you so i think that's really powerful and really re- rewarding actually for us to to hear those stories yeah, absolutely. On top of that, I would say that I've definitely met quite a few people over the years who said to me, come up to me and said, oh, thanks to the pie, I got a new job. And I don't mean through the exec search, but they've researched a country, let's say, or, you know, recruitment trends in India or whatever. And they've gone to a job interview and they've sort of slayed it. And they've cited all the intel that we've they've divined from the pie as the reason that they did so well. So that's also a great example of how we're helping people shape their destiny, I think. Well, I think about it, but the International Student Roundtables, which we run now, all of our events, they're so powerful. And we felt, you know, for, for from the beginning of running events, it's really important to have the international student voice there. And I, I personally feel really proud whenever we deliver those events because the students love sharing their story with people who work in the industry who might then go back on campus and say, we've got to do this better. You know, I heard from this one student, orientation was a disaster because they were so jet lagged, they couldn't understand the English, you know, like giving some sort of real tangible practical examples for people to go back to camp on campus and make changes with. So, you know, so you, you have the pulse uh, on international education because of the work you do, the people that you talk to and the reporting and all of that. Um, So my question to you is where do you see things going? I mean, there's so much happening geopolitical uh, in the world, affordability issues and, uh, you know, all kinds of issues that we're facing within the realm of international education. So what's your crystal ball saying? What are you looking forward to, let's say, the next three to five years in international education? What are you worried about? What we're seeing right now in terms of policy is governments trying to reappraise how much they want students and how much they want student migrants. And there's a sort of re-reckoning around that. And I think the sector, and I think in the UK, there's definitely a a, a realization that the sector has to do more to lobby for the value of international students, but also student migrants. I mean, I think in the US, some, there's some crazy statistic like 30, no, it's actually higher, like 40%, I think, of all new businesses in the States are set up by someone who has an immigrant background. I mean, immigrants are resilient, they're entrepreneurs. I mean, give us your perfect example. And if you want to attract international students to your country, as a government, you have to have a serious reckoning about policy. Do you want to enable them to stay? And does that mean more than two years post-study work? Does that mean more than OPT? Right now, we've we've got three different governments around the world who are like, oh, maybe we don't want them to stay after all, but there will be an impact in terms of that. But in terms of international education, in general, the industry, will it continue to grow? Absolutely. I mean, the number of globally mobile students is predicted to rise. We see no reason for that not to international experiences are increasingly accessible via ed tech as well so you can really enable people to have a globalized opportunity while being at home 
So in terms of institutions and universities fundamentally believing in the rights of students to have an exchange, whether that's virtual or in-person and global, that's not going away either. What we will see is some sort of pendulum swing around where students want to go. And that will be to some extent related to how welcome they are to stay and potentially work after they graduate. And that is just a pendulum swing in terms of policy, which I've been around long enough to see that go one way and the other. And um, it's going to continue ebbing and flowing with whoever's in in charge in government, et cetera. But in terms of the industry in general, absolutely, we think it's just going to go from strength to strength. There's so much in terms of ed tech developments, which make it a really exciting place to be. We see lots of up and coming countries, the Czech Republic, Singapore, Malaysia. There's so many, Germany, there's so many countries who you might not think of as one of the big top recruiters who are also doing a lot to encourage international students. So I think it, it continues to be a really exciting and diverse sector with a lot of potential. I think our listeners will be really pleased to have heard you say that <laughs> for sure. And Jane and Claire, do you have any any thoughts? I mean, I know that Amy's reporting um, an editorial team, but in terms of events or, you know, Jane, with the clients that you're working with, what are you hearing from them about the future? Well, I would say... Um dare I say it, AI and the impact that that is going to have on the sector. I mean, Amy came back from Abu Dhabi yesterday and you were saying like 80% of the sessions were in some way about AI. And I think there's just, I mean, it's life in general. I don't think it's specific to the sector. It's just this slightly unnerving question mark, huge question mark around what that impact is going to be. And I think we need some good, robust intelligence real intelligence <laughs> about how we can manage that in whichever sec whichever bit of the sector we're working in because it's going to impact everyone and i think people don't think, just genuinely don't really know i think it will impact the sector but i don't see it as being negative one other thing that was being said a lot in abu dhabi which was a conference about reimagining education so that was very much sort of looking forward to 2030 is that resilience team building sort of the ability to work as part of a team, all those sort of soft skills are essentially the new denominator which employers increasingly look for before anything. Mm-hmm. And everyone knows that people who've studied abroad have got more resilience. They've proven that by moving to another country and often learning in another, or teaching in another language. And then the other thing which came out from this, this conference I was at was authenticity will be key and humans will become increasingly good at working out what is an AI generated email, for example, versus a human one. I mean, I think there's a huge amount of reasons why education, authentic education, but also international experience is going to be important and more important. And I think AI will impact our sector, but hopefully in ways which improve efficiency, but also don't erode authenticity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree with I mean, you. you couldn't... Sustainability, right? We talk about sustainability, and there's got to be technology that's going to be adopted more uh, to increase sustainability, and and not just that to enhance access, right? There's so many people around the world that without technology, you cannot access them, or they cannot access the quality content. Shall we wrap it up? We're conscious of the time, and we don't want to go on for too long. But we do usually. I don't know if you've ever heard our podcast, but we always end with something uh, we call our quick fire questions round. And so maybe we just shoot one question each, <laughs> Girish, um, to our guests. And so totally fun. Learn a little bit more about you, something lighthearted, not too serious. Girish, do you want to go first? 
Sure. I've always been curious. Is the company's name Pi because it's Amy Baker? <laughs> you know what, some, it, it took me a year to really see the connection. Someone said to me, oh, Amy Baker baked a pie. No. Um, the pie, <laughs> the pie stands for professionals in international education, actually, because that's who we were trying to reach. Eventually, we settled on the pie because we didn't want an acronym. And yeah, I think it, I think actually the pie being called the pie helped in some respects in the early days because everyone would be like, what's this weird company, the pie? But they'd remember the name. I think it is a good name and that everyone remembers it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think you should serve pie at the conferences. That's my take. On it. But can I just tell you a story <laughs> on that? So when we launched when we launched the pie at ISEF Berlin in 2011, we literally took a suitcase full of fruit pies and we were serving them. We had one pull-up banner and plates of pies with these branded cocktail sticks in. And we were like, hi, everyone. This is the pie. Uh, but we haven't done it since, and maybe we should bring it back. What sort of pie do we, what sort of pie do we serve? Oh, man. That's a, I'll think of that. I'll come back. Okay. Depends on the what, what? I actually can't remember what they were. Were they mince pies? Or, no, or they were like apple pie, cherry pie, mixed fruit pie. I, yeah. All right, Jane, I have a question for you. You said you love traveling, and that was one of the things that got you into the field of international education, thinking about a job where you could travel and meet people and had education in it. Um, mm -hmm. Where's your most favorite place in the whole entire world to travel? Where would you go if you could get on a plane tomorrow for fun? Um, so we last summer on the way back from Pi Life Australia, I met my family in in Thailand, and I think Thailand and will always have a special place for me. I, I, we went there when we were twenty. It was off my first trip to Asia, um, and I, I fell in love with the people. I fell in love with the food, the amazing beaches. It was just fantastic, and Bangkok was exciting and different than anything I'd ever seen before. So I think it would be Thailand. Claire, so did you marry your husband because he's a doctor and you thought you were going to be one? <laughs> <laughs> I have thought that of that before, you know. No. Surely we the Gossage like sausage name. Oh, yeah. So my surname is Gossage. So I took my husband's name. That's another another conversation not to have today. <laughs> so I was Claire Montgomery. Some people listening might remember that name. Uh, so I changed my name. But Gossage, lots of people think it's Gossage. And Will, in his doctor status, going around and seeing patients in hospital, oh, Dr. Gossage, thank you so much. He'd be like, no, 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 it's it's gossage like sausage. And that was the line <laughs> that he used and uses frequently. And then I kind of picked that up. And so when people say, oh, it's Claire Gossage, I say, no, it's gossage like sausage. Like sausage. <laughs> I get I get guiver sometimes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> guiver. <laughs> I think I think you should still change Max's name to Mac MacGyver. I mean, no, that's just. Yeah, oh, <laughs> but anyway, you guys know I, that I know, TV show, I know we need to wrap up, but I do want one more serious question, though. We obviously there's a lot of listeners, particularly international education, is pretty female dominated, but we don't see a lot of female entrepreneurs. Any piece of advice that you would offer, any encouragement, any uh, words of wisdom that you'd want to leave with? I would say don't 
feel guilty about leaving small children behind. I remember having this conversation with Claire, where I think the first time we went away and you left George and you were like, oh, he really missed me. And I was thinking, oh, damn, <laughs> she, she's up for traveling again. I was like, but he won't remember. <laughs> it's. I think it's slightly more, there's slightly more pressure on a mum to feel guilty about traveling and leaving your children at home. But my rationale was they've still got a parent at home. And I think sometimes I wonder whether for some women that stops them, some of their thinking or plans around what to do because they think, oh, I can't be away from my children. And I think, well, you obviously need a supportive partner. But, you know, my kids are now pretty grown up and they definitely have not have any, you know, adverse effects from me not being around. So, I mean, I was obviously around, but not. I was. I would go away for a week at a time. And maybe that's another piece of advice. You know, I think you don't have to be away for like three weeks at a time. You just have to make sure when you plan your travel that, you don't have to be away from home too long. I don't think any of us have done trips which are more than a week. No, we've you know we've got seven children between us, haven't we? And I think for them to see to see that we do travel, that you know, as working mums, you know, we we still have a a life we can ha- fit alongside having families. And and I think you know, um, Claire and I have both got daughters. I think it's really great for them to see us working and having a family life, and to see that when they grow up, they too can do the same yeah I think I would say don't let having children be any sort of barrier to what you want to achieve as an individual and yes it complicates things for sure and it's hard work and it's tiring and you have to juggle but I think you can do all those things if you're clear in what you want to achieve because it's important for you as a person and I think it's so easy to lose sight of that because you have a responsibility to your to your children. And to echo what Jane said, I like I I brought up my children with the pie, right? So my my eldest was 8 months old or something when we started the company. So they literally have grown up with the pie and have talked to them about the business all the time and involved them in it and I think that is really valuable for them to hear the conversations that you know me, Amy and Jane have and to compare those with conversations that I'm they overhear with a client. And how different that sounds and talking to them when I'm overseas and showing them where I am. And I think that is that is very, very valuable, Um, teaches them a lot. And to have that message of why not go like if you want to have if you want to go and try something off you go. What's the worst that can happen? Coming back to what Amy said earlier. You know. and it was really nice, wasn't it? Our 10 year anniversary, we had our children there, all our families, and it was, you know, our parents as well. It was really nice for them to see what we're talking about and to see, you know, 600 people in the room at, at, at the Pi Live Europe at that, at that event. And it was, yeah, I think they then understood a little bit more as well about what, what we do and why we yeah. do it. I totally agree. So maybe another piece of advice would be bring your children in, in when they're old enough, because it was almost a bit emotional, I think, for all of us. They were like, oh, wow. Like I remember my son going, oh, wow, you actually are quite good at what you do. <laughs> you true. managed to fill a room. You know, it's like tangibly them seeing what we what we spend a lot of time in front of a computer doing, right? Yeah, great advice. Well, again, thank you so much for your time. I'm a big fan of the pie. It's been so thrilling to watch you over the last, what, 12, 13 years grow and do all the things that you're doing. So good luck. More power to you. Thanks so much. It's been enjoyable. Thanks, thanks both. Thanks for having us. Thanks for listening to Destiny Benders. 